Guys, thank you so much for joining on today's episode of the Being a Dad podcast. Today, I have a very special man in my life. His name is Michael Chu. He runs uh, Champion Development, the, the business that I coach out of. And t- today's a different kind of episode, different flow. We're recording. I normally record these ahead of time and publish them out. And we're recording this on the 26th of May. And, you know, this is two days after the no the school shooting in texas and i found it very weird like just weird timing uh because i mike and i we had rescheduled this for today and um this was back in february Hmm. and for me personally just it's been kind of weighing on me just everything going on and with mike he's someone that whenever I see you in person, man, I I tend to go to you for specific advice with coaching and stuff. And, you know, like you, like you probably experienced whenever we ask for coaching advice, sometimes that's just advice for how we coach ourselves. Mm -hmm. And for me, like during this time, especially just seeing your point of view, um, not just as a leader, as a coach, but also as a father, who's kind of living in this time. and, And you share some things, not just with uh, with your with your fiance, so, some messages or, or some experiences, but also messages with uh, some some family members who are teachers. And well, dude, first, thank you for being on here. Yeah, my and pleasure. Thank Thanks you for, for and and thank you for want for being okay and wanting to to talk about this because mm-hmm. I know this was not on the agenda. And this was I just I I literally mentioned it to you like ten minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. It was my pleasure, and I love what you're doing with this show. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into a handful of things, but I think as, as dads, as fathers, um, if we had more resources and more of a community of other men thriving to be great dads, I think the world would be a different and better place. So I just want to start by acknowledging what you're doing uh, with the show and the impact you're having on the world. So what's the question you want to start with? I know you brought up the, the shootings. I live here in Texas, so I'm not too far you know, removed from where this is happening. There's been some direct impacts I've already seen uh, in my life just over the last 48 hours, but what's the exact question you want to start with? Well, I guess the first question for me to you is, especially being so close and having, you know, certain experiences that, that touch close to this is what are you doing to, you know, lead your family, your father of two, your, you've got your fiance, what are, what are you doing right now to, to, to guide them? Yeah. Well, I'll start with this. It, before anything else, it's, it's, it's freaking devastating, right? Just to see this happening in our schools, in our churches, in, in our country. Um, and that has nothing to do with politics. You know, this conversation could go political and we could go into what solutions and what actions, but purely from a parenting perspective and a dad's perspective, it's devastating. I mean, just in the last 48 hours, uh, I've had thoughts of my oldest daughter graduating from her pre-K. And as I'm watching that happening, the thought of like, what, what if this is when, what if this is where, and this is when somebody walked in uh, and, and had a shooting, that by itself can bring so much emotion. Um, then my, my fiance has, in 48 hours cried as far as I know. So there's probably times that she's cried even more, but she has cried twice just in her car out of just the pure devastation of A, what's happening in other people's lives and just the thought of a parent sending their kid to school and not even knowing if they're going to pick their kid up. 
And that'd be the last time that they saw them. That has brought my fiance to tears. Uh, and then my mom's a, a teacher. My mom and cousin are teachers in the high school that I grew up in the day after the shooting um, at, a, at the local high school I graduated from in New Jersey. Uh, my mom texted me middle of the day. I showed you, I showed you the actual messages, uh, Andres, and said, uh, just so you guys know, we're, she was messaging me and my siblings. Uh, we are in a lockdown. The police have come in and told us to hide in the corner of the room. There's a, uh, a gunman or someone with a gun, at least, uh, in the hallways. And so that's just been the last 48 hours. Uh, but your question is, what am I doing? And the, the first thought I have when you ask that question before anything else is I'm making sure that I'm attending to my own emotional state. And why I think that is important or why that's the starting answer for me is because it allows me to be the space for my loved ones around me when they're having their emotions. Like as a dad, and I never, it was just a couple of years ago, Andres, that I was terrified about the idea of even having the role of dad. You know, my dad passed suddenly just 90 days ago, approximately three, three months ago or whatever. Uh, and I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. And so that gave me all these reasons, or at least that's the story I told myself uh, that I was scared about being a dad. I wasn't sure if I was going to be a great dad. Um, and we can get into that. But recently, uh, I've decided that my commitment is to be a loving and leading uh, husband and dad for my girls. And so for me to show up as the best emotional source for them, I have to make sure that I have the tools and the skills to address my own emotional states, fear, anger, right? Uh, sadness, right? And just like the analogy of an airplane mask, air mask dropping, right? You put it on your mask, you put your mask on first so you can take care of those around you. Why my first answer of what I'm doing right now is I'm also making sure that I'm being aware and I'm giving myself space to slow down and just get really uh, attuned to what my emotional experience to the situation might be as well. And that might sound selfish, um, but it's actually the complete opposite. It's because it's my commitment to be there uh, for my fiance and for my girls as the loving, leading space and safe space that I believe they deserve. So that's, that's my thoughts right now. No, I love that. And I love the analogy because it reminds me of something my old, my former mentor, Paul Reddick said, he's like, uh, uh, you got to put your own mask on first before you help someone else. Yeah. And with that, I'm curious, cause you know, as a coach, you've, you, you've learned a variety of ways of doing that. I know for me, it's, you know, sure. slowing things down, giving myself permission to feel what I'm feeling, but not just that, but also expressing it, whether it's like, you know, just freaking yelling, going for a bike ride, going for a workout, karaoke helps too, just get in your body. Um, but I'm curious, what are you doing for, for you know, the dads out there who are listening to this, who don't know how to do that? Sure. What, sure. what would you say? What, what has worked for you? Yeah. I, I mean, Andres, I grew up in a small town of like 3,500 people, uh, in an Asian culture where you're kind of like feeling your feelings is not a normal thing. And then on top of that, I was a martial artist as early as three years old. And so karate is definitely the type of culture that's like, discipline up, like, right. It's kind of very militant. And so I share that as a starting point, because even though I'm talking about processing my emotions here, it is not something that I grew up around. Right. I grew up in the culture of like, boys don't cry or shut up and get up, like get back to work and all that type of stuff. Um, and so if anyone is listening, it's like, 
I mean, I don't know how to do that. Well, for a long time, the way I processed my emotions was alcohol. And I didn't, I didn't know it. I didn't think it. Right? I grew up in a lineage where alcoholism does run through different parts of my family. And so I didn't think I was like using alcohol for those things. But now on the other side of it, and uh, three years this June, I haven't drank alcohol. I realized how often I was going to other things when I was either stressed, overwhelmed, scared, angry, whatever. So I have a two-part answer to your question. The first one is to become aware when you're having big emotions, where you might be going to that's not actually productive or serving you when you're having big emotions, whether it's weed or porn or alcohol or working more, right? Sometimes we think that's a positive thing, but guess what? We're still not attending to our feelings and we're spending less time with our family then, right? So sometimes it's like lifting and going to the gym more or working more. We think it's productive ways. For some of us, it's gaming. So my first answer is to get aware when you have big feelings, where you're going to as an outlet to those feelings that arguably might not actually be that productive. For me, it was alcohol, right? Um, in many books out there, whether it's Atomic Habits or whether it's Willpower Doesn't Work by Benjamin Hardy, a lot of times they talk about when you're developing a new habit, it's not actually about developing a new habit. It's about, it's about eliminating a habit first that is not actually serving you. So that's my first part of the answer. But Andres, the second part of the answer, to keep it very simple, I just call it stop, drop, and roll, which funny enough is kind of an a interesting phrase to use the conversation we're having because, you know, I was talking to a friend. I was like, man, when we were kids, we just did fire drills, right? And the fact that kids these days are being trained for gunmen, like when I say it's devastating, when I say it's infuriating, like that's... Kids, kids, should, kids shouldn't be doing that. That's not the situation our kids should be going in to go to school. But anyways, back to stop, drop, and roll. Um, as someone who didn't know how to process my feelings or feel my feelings, this simple concept helped make it kind of easy. It gave me some steps to at least start practicing. it. So stop, drop, and roll is what we learned to do if we, are, if we ever thought there was a fire at school, right? Well, when we are heavily emotionalized, it feels like everything's on fire, right? We feel like we're in a panic. We feel like we're enraged. So same thing, stop, drop, and roll. Stop, what does that mean? Stop and simply just slow down. Don't try and do anything about it. We just got, we got to fix this. Right. No, stop. <laughs> and you can oftentimes when you stop, just stop and take three deep breaths. One of my mentors, Tess, right? She says all the time that we are oftentimes one deep breath away from a completely different emotional experience. And so sometimes if we can just stop and take a deep breath and then drop, drop would mean like get aware of what's going on in your body, not in your head. I think it's Darius Andres that said recently, when you're in your head, you're dead. When you're in your heart, you're smart, right? When we're in our head and we're just spiraling, we got to get out of our head and get into our body. What does that look like? What does that mean? It could just simply go, I just feel a lot of freaking tension on my chest right now. Oh my gosh. Right? I just feel, I don't know. 
I don't know what I feel. I just can tell that I feel really tense, right? As someone who didn't know how to process emotions, I couldn't like name the feeling. I would just think, I don't know. I just feel like really angry right now. Good, start there. Stop, drop into what you're feeling and then roll is just keep breathing through it or just keep like allowing yourself the space to sit with that emotion until you feel it dissipate. Why? Because when we resist, something persists. How many of you guys have heard a phrase like that before? The part of that quote that I don't think enough people talk about on the back end is what we resist persists until it explodes. How many of you have ever felt like in your relationships or with your kids, you have gotten to a point where you exploded and you weren't proud of it? You yelled, you cursed, you used vulgar language with your lover. You threw something across the room, right? You had a childhood tantrum. We can avoid those explosions if we don't resist the emotions as they're coming up because what we resist persists until it explodes. So hopefully that summarizes, I know it's a longer answer, Andres, but number one, get clear on where you're going to when you have big emotions that are not productive. But then number two, stop, drop, and roll. Stop and breathe, drop into what you're acknowledging, and then just sit with it for a while because you can't heal what you're not willing to feel. Dude, I I love that so much. And it, it makes a lot of sense with, with that analogy. And I guess I'm curious because again, it's especially at like so soon after this, even what you were saying, even what, what your fiance was experiencing, just like crying just at the thought of, you know, taking Presley to school. And I guess it's, there's so much uncertainty and there's so much, there's no control. No, none of the parents Mm -hmm. knew that on Monday that that was going to happen on Tuesday or even Tuesday morning. It's I'm guessing now you've addressed your emotion, like you're addressed where you are. You've put your own mask on first. What have you done next? Yeah. Well, to kind of transition that um, in real life application, you know, I woke up this morning kind of feeling a little sad and I was working out with Kayla and I'm glad I have these tools because how many of you ever feel like you're having big emotions, but you don't even really notice it. And you're like taking it out on those around you, or you're not as present in a relationship as you could be. The other commitment I have this year to parenting is that I'm committed to being a present and playful dad. By no means am I perfect at that, but I'm committed and working uh, on that. And so how this transitions to your question is I had a dream last night with everything that's been going on in the world, I had a dream that two people came into our house with guns and took Presley, took our daughter. And you ever have one of those dreams, Andres, that feels really real when you wake up? Yeah. <laughs> like you feel the fear, you feel the happiness, you feel the scared, you feel whatever. I woke up and felt like it really happened. And I found myself at the gym, kind of like feeling a little sad. And so I'm glad that I have the ability to become aware of kind of just what's going on with me because I was able to say to Kayla, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm not super present right now. I've had a dream last night that I'm just feeling kind of sad about. And by being able to communicate it out loud, relationships are all about what communication. She was able to say, wow, I can see how that'd feel really hard for you. And we're able to kind of just, you know, tennis it back and forth. And just by talking about it with my partner, 
I was able to feel a lot better, which in exchange was allowing me to be there for her uh, as well. And so I just wanted to share that first and foremost as like a real life story and a real life example uh, where being able to be aware of what your experience is allows you to communicate more powerfully with either your kids or your partner, et cetera. But you ask, now that I've like processed my own feelings, what am I doing? It might not sound profound, but when you've attended to yourself, you can focus on serving and giving others, right? Giving to others, right? Whether it's financially, like when you're not stressed about money, you can give to others. When you're not stressed emotionally, you can attend to others. And so it might not sound profound, but the simple thing is just being there for them. Like, hey, Kayla, how are you feeling about all this? Right? Why? Because I'm not concerned about my own feelings because I've attended to them. Hey, I know this can bring up a lot of things. How are you feeling? And by just simply asking that question was how I found out that Kayla had cried in the car. And I gave her the space to talk it out loud. And then she started crying there with me. Uh, and because I wasn't feeling stressed or scared or angry about it all, I kind of calmed my nervous system. I was able to just give her a big hug. I was able to just be there with her. Because outside of taking this conversation like political and the actions we can take to call our senators and, you know, to, to, to protest and all those things, we still have responsibility as leaders, not what we do outside our house or not what we do at the White House, but we still have a responsibility to how we lead in our own house. And I think our children and our partners, they need leadership from us as men. And leadership isn't always showing up ready to fight somebody. It isn't always, and that can be the case with these types of times, but um, leadership is oftentimes just creating a safe space for your loved ones to have their own big feelings about stuff as well. So they don't have to bottle it up and they can feel safe because of your masculine energy. So that's kind of what I'm doing uh, after also attending my own feelings as well. I love that. And one thing that comes to mind, I know Presley's pretty young, uh, but has there been any conversations with her or, or your oldest daughter with regard to everything that has been happening um, or that, that had happened so recently? Yeah, good question. Uh, you're right. At the age that they're at, um, we're not having too many profound conversations uh, with them. So the simple answer is no, we haven't had really any conversations with the kids in depth yet um, because of their age. But um, my, my four-year-old, my four turning five-year-old, I probably could with her uh, this weekend, but no, we haven't had any conversations yet. And I guess one question I have for you, because you meant you touched this on, especially earlier too, is because again, we're, we're living in a world where, or in a time of day where, you know, this is more quote unquote acceptable, like, mm. Hey, feel what you're feeling. Like, like deal with your stuff, particularly men. And I'm curious what, what advice or what guidance would you have for a man who is very resistant towards that? Maybe he's like old school. He's like, you know what? I'm not, I'm never doing that. That's not how I grew up. That's not what my dad did. My grandpa did. I'm not going to do that. That's not yeah. what a man does. Well, yeah. Um, but, but I, I'm hurting and I want to do something different. Well, yeah. What advice do you have for him? Well, it's a great question. Um, I would, my, my, my advice would start with saying, if that's how you feel, I totally, totally, totally relate. 
you know, that's what I was sharing earlier. Um, I was an oldest son in an Asian family. I was a 10 plus time national martial arts champion, right? Um, I was a high achiever. I was an entrepreneur. I was a business owner. And I share all those things not to like say, look at me. I share like, I think there's some stereotypes about many of those types of things, whether it's militant and karate, whether it's being an oldest son, whether it's growing up in an Asian culture, right? That there's a lot of stereotypes about those labels of like man up, right? I was the captain of my basketball team. I was that, right? Whatever, right? Like man up. I, I don't know if you're allowed to curse on their show, but like, don't be a bitch, right? Or um, big boys don't cry, right? And so I'm, I'm sharing that. So if you are feeling that way, man, I get it. And while you don't have to do anything and you don't have to take any of the advice that we're sharing in this conversation, I can tell you this much. For me, I had to come face to face with myself and ask myself, if I was willing to learn, if I was willing to like address these things, right? And for me, it came from a place of pain. Where was not learning to control my emotions actually killing the, the, the life I was creating around me? Because it was just normal. And I get, I get heated about this because there were actions I was taking in my own relationship that it's like, yeah, it's just normal, I'm angry. Of course I like just like punch a wall because that's what I saw in my own household. Right? But that doesn't mean just because it's normal to you that that's the right thing to do for your fiance, for your girlfriend, for your wife, to create a space where your kids see violence as a way of handling emotions. I mean, if we're talking about the, the, the shooting right now, one could make an argument that those behaviors have nothing to do with guns, have nothing to do with blah, blah, blah. And like I said, I'm not here to make this political. This simply just came up right now. One could make an argument that that also starts because of the behaviors that are being modeled in households. When someone has big emotions, is angry, wants revenge, or uh, doesn't feel loved, or doesn't feel good enough, what do they do? Do they hit somebody else? Do they punch a wall? Do they throw shit? Do they, do they express anger you know, in a violent, in a scary way? And then you, you, you have 12-year-olds and 14-year-olds and 16-year-olds and 18-year-olds in today's generation not knowing how to control their emotions. And there's a lot in today's society to deal with between COVID and lockdowns and social media and all this shit. I mean, shit, if we at 38, 48, 58 years old can't model good behavior with our emotions, what the hell are we expecting from our kids? And so to someone who would say that, I would say, what is it costing you by just holding on to the loyalty of that's not what I saw my grandfather did? do, or that's not what we do in this household. Like, what is it costing you? Because I'll tell you my story. It cost me not only my own happiness, but it led to divorce. It led to the relationship that I am blessed and privileged and honored to be in now, but it almost cost me that relationship. Even though I told myself, I'm going to be better, right? After divorce, I'm going to be better. Like I'm Yet I was repeating a lot of the same patterns. Why? Because I could tell myself in my head all I want, I'm going to be more calm. But you all know the second an emotion triggers and you feel pissed, your mind can't shut your emotions down. Try and talk yourself out of sadness. Try and talk yourself out of anger. Try and talk yourself out of jealousy. Try and talk yourself out of uh, abandonment, like whatever. I, I, it came to a point where 
me just doing all the personal growth stuff or reading books or just telling myself as me calmer, it wasn't enough. I had to learn how to actually attend to and process feelings because the, the, where it came to a head, where it came to a head is that we were getting into fights every once in a while. And I would probably be that, that guy years ago who'd be like, we don't fight that often. You're right. Kayla and I maybe didn't fight that often, but when we did, I'd like pack my suitcase up and pretend I was going to leave. And like, I remember one time I took, I took a two liter bottle of soda and I tossed it across the freaking apartment against like a, a sliding door window, right? As, as a way of just expressing my rage, expressing my anger. And Kayla wasn't going to have that, right? Or anytime I, I felt insecure or, or unsafe in my own body, like, and I was having these big emotions, it would lead to either excessive drinking. It would lead to decisions that I wasn't proud of. It would lead to saying things that was outside of my value system and outside of my alignment. And the, the, the final straw for me was kind of all of those things combined. One night out in Vegas at Dre's. And I woke up the next morning and I don't know how many of you have ever had either a really angry night or a really drunk night. And it, the next morning is like, I'm sorry, I was just really mad. Or, hey, I'm sorry, I drank too much. Well, listen, there comes a point where that's not an acceptable excuse. It might be a real excuse. It's just not an acceptable one as a man who wants to lead their family. And so I know your question, Andres, was what advice would you give to somebody who is like, that's not how I grew up. That's uncomfortable for me. I hope my story here shares that. Me too. Me too. And yet I had to ask myself and I had to really be honest with myself, how much pain or loss was I going to either endure or risk because of the behaviors and actions that I took in my lowest emotional states? Because the last thing I'll say to that, Andres, is like, if you had asked me to process my feelings at the time, I would have said, hell no, why? Because 98% of the time I was this buttoned up professional entrepreneur, right? I got great grades. I went to a great school. Uh, I won championships. I, I, I won this award. and that. I, I, on paper, I had it all going on 98% of the time. But the one or 2% of the times that I was stressed, overwhelmed, angry, pissed, jealous, whatever, I used to pick fights when Kayla would go out with her girlfriends. I would tell her it was fine. But then once she was out with her and all her friends, I would start feeling insecure in my body if she's getting hit on, I'd feel jealous. And before I know it, I'd be picking fights. Why? Because I didn't know how to attend to my own shit. Second thing, the only way I thought you had to attend to shit was therapy. And I had this like negative stigma about talk therapy. I had this big ego around, I don't know, I don't, nothing's wrong with me. And so I hope my advice helps you realize that there are ways to learn how to process your feelings that don't equal go to therapy. Although I think therapy is amazing now, funny enough. Uh, but there's somatic work, there's plant medicine, there's Wim Hof breathing, there's, there's, there's so many ways you can learn to process your feelings. And that would be my advice to someone or a man or a dad um, who might be feeling it. That's not, that's not how I grew up. I would end this point with this. Real men, like real masculinity is being able to attend to your own emotions so you can hold safe space uh, for all those around you. That's, that's strength. That's strength. I loved how you connected that, like the, the, the real examples that you experienced with uh, like Vegas, for example, or even just the, the bottle episode is just, 
that's the explosion happening. Mm, the yes. explosion that, that wasn't addressed. And it's well, one thing that you also said was um, there's a point where enough is not enough where, yeah, that's the reason, but it's not acceptable anymore. Yeah. And that's when you said like, it just didn't align with my values. Mm. And I think that that's a key thing for me is like, listen, this stuff is sometimes, especially if you've been not wanting to address certain things, because there, there are some conversations I've had with men that are pretty tough, sexual yeah. abuse, physical abuse, neglect, just feeling abandoned, not feeling good enough, yeah. uh, rejection from different, not only family, but uh, relational and it's like is it worth it for you not to deal with that so that you can show up in a person that doesn't have the values that you have yeah which one is worth it would you rather yeah. deal with it and then continue being that man in all aspects or would you rather not and just risk not being that man and i think your experience has been pr pretty illuminating with that and I guess, how would you say you're, again, you mentioned divorce, you mentioned um, this anger, so you mentioned the alcoholism, you mentioned mm -hmm. the way that you grew up, even certain aspects with certain things that possibly came up for you when, you're, when your father passed away. Yeah. I'm curious, how has that helped you? What has been the shift for you in regards to not only being a dad, but also be, being the, uh, the soon-to-be husband that, you, that you're striving to be? Yeah, I mean, I think the way the way I grew up and the struggles, you know, there's like a, a cheesy quote in the personal development world of like, let your tests become your testimonies or let your mess become your message, right? Um, to take that one step deeper over the last couple of years, it's been about a three to four year journey, uh, guys who are watching this and maybe some moms, maybe some, some women are watching this as well. Um, to take it one step deeper, it went from a test to turning into just a bit of a testimony. Then it went from a mess becoming a bit of a message. But I'm at a point where one of the proudest parts of my human development so far uh, is that I feel like I am becoming a generational change for what has just been normal either in the Chu lineage or Asian culture or just men in general. Um, and I'll tell a quick story and then I'll share what I mean by that. You know, I know this show is about not just men, but is about fatherhood. And it was about four years ago, I was down here in Austin as I was moving, as I was just getting ready, or I think maybe I just moved or it was, it was, it was, I, was, I was preparing for the move. Uh, and I went for a walk with one of my earliest mentors, John Vroman. And uh, Andres, at the time, this was before I had done all this work or learned how to process my emotions or any of these things. I was still drinking, all these things. And I thought I was fine. I would have told you, like, yeah, I'm good. And uh, on the walk, something came up where, he, you know, John asked me how I was doing about, with, with, with fatherhood because I just had my first daughter, you know, shortly before that. And I remember these words came out of my mouth. And I said, John, while I know I love my daughter, you're the first person I'm admitting this to out loud. I think I hate being a dad. I think I hate being a dad. And I, I had a thousand reasons why that was. 
um, I was still, you know, taking care of my own shit, so to speak. And I felt like, you know, being a dad, like, how can I give, like, like the analogies we've been talking about on this call, right? Like, how can I pour into others when I feel like I still can't even fully take care of myself? And I don't mean, to, like, I was financially good. And like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like emotionally, right? If I still try, if I'm still trying to figure out my own happiness or what I want in life or my purpose or my passion, if I'm still, how am I supposed to, you know, take care of others? And that was one of the most embarrassing or shameful moments of my life to admit that out loud, because I think most people expect like, if you have kids, you're supposed to love them with all your heart. They're, they're supposed to be the, the, the light of your world. You would give them anything. And I had moments where I questioned if I even wanted to keep custody. You know, there were moments where I really questioned if I was actually doing my daughter a service. Like this is what I was convincing myself because I had so much, I had so much guilt in my head. I started convincing myself that I was doing my daughter a service if I, if I just gave up custody, because that's how much I thought I loved her, but I thought I hated being a dad. Um, and so I just share that story, Andres, because if anyone on the show is relating in any way, shape or form to that, that's why I would want to share that. Because I think sometimes as men, but I think sometimes as a society, we, we think and feel like we have to keep it all together. There are certain societal norms that are like we just are supposed to like uphold. Like, I, of course, I love being a dad. I remember when I first became a parent and people asked me, how's it going? I thought I was supposed to be like, I love being a dad. I thought like that had to be my answer. And deep down inside, I was like, I freaking hate it. Right. Um, so that's why I share that story. With that said, how is that mess or that, has that become my message? How's it? It's been a heavy focus on truly being like a generational change and specifically in ways of like, by by, by doing this type of work, it's allowed me to become aware of either like toxic, and I, I kind of hate that phrase, but like behaviors that I just adopted because they were like, I just thought they were normal. And I've been able to start to like call those out. I've, I've been able to be more intentional about parenting. I think this is a big one. When you learn to take care of your own emotions in the healthiest way possible, all you're really doing is parenting yourself. Because all of the big emotions that we have are really just triggers. Tess teaches me this all the time. They're really just triggers from, um, from experiences, Andres, that happened when? Between five years old and 12 years old. So when you're attending to emotions, you're really addressing that five to 12-year-old. You might be 35 years old or 45 years old or 55 years old getting angry but you're really just reacting to something happened that when you were eight, when you were five, when you were 12. And so there's a great quote in, for men in going back and doing this work that says, heal the boy and the man will step forward, right? Heal the boy and the man will step forward. Heal the boy and the man will show up. And so for me, one of the biggest things that I've gotten from doing this type of stuff is it's actually allowed me to learn how I'm parenting myself, parenting myself, right? I'm addressing that five to 12 year old, which is in turn, given me more confidence and intentionality about how I'm parenting uh, my kids as well. And that's been one of my favorite, uh, favorite parts. And then, yeah, like, again, tons of alcohol is my family. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of being a chain breaker, a generational breaker with that. I'm learning how to communicate with my significant other better. 
Because again, I grew up where screaming and silent treatments and punching holes in walls were normal things. I thought that was just normal. But learning how to process and attend to these emotions is allowing me to take different actions around that, right? Um, and I believe real masculine strength is attending to these feelings so I can create a strong identity to be the leader, to be the lover, to be the present and playful dad uh, for Kayla and for my girls as the dad that I'm committed to being. That's the identity uh, that I want to commit to instead of just saying things like, yeah, getting angry. That's just the way things are. I'm a dad. Of course, I'm stressed all the time. Says who, right? Who the hell says that? It's how it has to be. And so that's how going through this process is, in my opinion, impacted my life in a positive way. No, I love that creating new standards and just uh, I'm going to make that change. And I'm curious what, after that conversation with your mentor, like what, what shifted? I'm guessing hmm. like now, based off of what I know, it seems like you, you like being a dad. Yeah. Uh, what, yeah. what shifted yeah. for you with regard to that, especially yeah. for, for a man who's in the same boat? Yeah. There was a phase where I went from hating it to liking it. And I would say in the last six to 12 months, Andres, um, I genuinely have started loving being a dad. I genuinely, genuinely have like, I used to be the guy who like woke up in the morning and wanted to get right to work. And uh, now I wake up in the morning and I actually get tons of fulfillment and joy out of like singing five little monkeys jumping on the bed, <laughs> like as Presley wakes up in the morning. And so, um, sorry, I missed the question because I heard you say you at least like it. And, and all I heard when you said that is like, yeah, I went through a phase where I hated it to liked it to in the last six months, I loved it. I think your question was after that conversation with my mentor, what happened? Yeah. What, what was, or what were the things that helped you shift from hating it to liking it? Two, two things. So one, I made an intentional commitment to surrounding myself with other, not just men, but other dads who I felt like were thriving in the areas of life that I wanted to be thriving in. And that was business, relationships, health, and parenting, right? And so I started becoming intentional about surrounding myself with more people like that, right? They oftentimes say, whether or not I fully believe in the quote itself, like as a specific fact, but like you become a byproduct of the five people you spend the most time with. Whether or not such a true, true stat or not, the, the spirit of the quote is, is great. The spirit of it um, is, is awesome. And so I made a focus on wanting to surround myself with more amazing dads that I felt like were living a great life in my image while still building a great business in my image, right? And had a thriving relationship with their wife still, right? Why was that important to me? Because part of why I thought I hated being a dad is I had a belief system because our beliefs oftentimes are the biggest thing running or ruining our lives. And for me, my belief system about parenthood was ruining my life. Why? Because I so badly still wanted to be the, the entrepreneur who built a great business and travels and, and goes out on the lake and has fun and goes out to great dinners and all that stuff. Because I get, but I had a belief that becoming, becoming a parent all of a sudden meant this white picket fence goes up around my house and we have dinner every night at six o'clock. And you, you lose your own independence. Like I had all these beliefs that I don't get to do anything fun anymore, right? I don't get to travel. And so I, I, I needed to surround myself with other men who are like, that's not true. Look at me, I'm going to 
Florida, Vegas, I'm going to Europe. I'm, I'm still playing soccer. I'm still playing basketball. I, I, we still travel. Like, and so the first most important thing is I was intentional about who I was surrounding myself with. The second thing that I did, um, not immediately after that conversation, but not too long afterwards either, because John was the one who recommended me to Tess and Tess is the somatic coach that I see regularly. I started going to work on all of my nervous system, body, emotional things uh, that I thought were causing issues like that, I, that I didn't feel like I knew how to control, that I didn't feel like I knew how to process. And I just told myself, it's just normal. I've always been that way. I've always been intense. I've always kind of had a, a temper. There came a point where I said, even though if it's been normal, why does my past have to predict my future? Mm. And my past wasn't leading me to the places I wanted. Fights and relationships, losing love, right? Um, yeah, I, I've gone through so many of the things already, but um, that was the second thing is I, I got to work on learning the skill because it is a skill. It's not you just go to like one magical therapy session and all of a sudden you're this it was a skill just like going to the gym just like developing a bicep just like getting a six-pack right um i made a commitment to developing the emotional skills just the same way as an athlete most of my life i developed the physical skills no i love that i think it starts with it, to me one thing that really stood out was is the analogy like i don't know what i don't know so like, if this is what I expect fatherhood to be and I'm not into it and now mm. I'm in it, like why, like I doesn't change the fact that I, it's still not what I want. Yeah. And it's just this perception of like, well, what if you could have both? What if you could have what you do want as well as fatherhood? And I think that's a remarkable, remarkable piece of guidance there for, for men who just, who are there. Cause we live in a world. I've seen you like a handful of, I think less than a handful of times. And yeah. we've been, I've been working for you for almost a year now. And it's like, wow, like just in that, that's a possibility of like, all right, you don't have to have a traditional job where you're only working in your local town. Yeah. And it's just like that, that camaraderie, that, that group of men, you can find that. And I'm curious for you with regard to that, uh, what were the, some of the steps that you took to find those group of men? Well, John, the guy I was on a walk with, um, one of the reasons I went on that walk is he had just started not too long before that walk, uh, a, a, a community, a mastermind, whatever you want to call it, called Front Row Dads. And so the first thing, like the steps I took is I went and found communities, found people, right? Like that stuff's out there, but we have to, we have to be willing to go find it, right? Uh, whether it's Googling it, whether it's asking friends, whether it's posting on social media, uh, whether it's asking in your church group, what, like there are communities out there. But again, I didn't just, I didn't think it was possible. John's whole mission is that he was um, like the national college speaker of the year. He was like a, he had been trained by Tony Robbins to coach. He had, a, he, had, he had a lot of great things going and he came home from one of his speeches. I might be botching his story, but um, essentially he came home from one of his speeches and somebody said to him, you know, it's, it's great that you're home because your boys are different when you're around versus when you're away. And the way I remember it for John, that really hit him. Like he heard that as almost like your kids are better when you're around and they're worse when you're away. And yet he was a traveling speaker. So he was going to be on the road, what, 20, 30, 40 weeks a year. Uh, and that's when he realized 
that he wanted to basically surround himself. He doesn't, he doesn't consider himself the guru of fatherhood. It was in that moment he realized that he wasn't a great dad and he wanted to learn how to be one. So this is a great lesson. Even if you can't find the communities you want, John created the community that he needed, right? And he said, I'm starting Front Row Dads, not for y'all. He goes, I'm starting it for me, right? I'm going to go get guest speakers. I'm going to read the books. I'm going I'm I'm to lead the discussions, not because I'm the expert at it. I'm starting this community for me. Because he realized in his words that he wasn't a great dad in that moment. And now, you know, the mission of his organization is that we're not businessmen with families, we're family men with businesses, right? Um, and yeah, so to answer your question, how did I find it? I, I, I had known John for years. John was my very first coach um, and I had just been following him a, a, from afar. And I saw that he was starting this and I, I, I said, I, I don't remember how it happened, but we went on a walk. And one of the things I wanted to ask him about was what was going on in this community. And uh, yeah, that's, that's how I came about it. And it was interesting too, because, you know, when we, when we, we oftentimes resist what we're scared of. I ended up signing up to be a part of his community and I did very little with it for like a year or two. Why? Because I was still scared about being a dad. And so I share that because while I share my story and I share my journey, it wasn't like an overnight miracle. It wasn't an overnight success. I dabbled with it and then I got exposed and then I started to meet more people. Um, but yeah, that, that's how that conversation unfolded. No, amazing. If you can, if you're not actively looking for it and you find it, you can really? create it. Yeah. And Mike, I, I love love your time here. I know this was sensitive topic that we spoke about. And I'm guessing for the dads out there who to like one question is for the dads who they're not, they haven't dealt with their stuff and they haven't looked at that stuff and it's scary. If you were to sum it up, what is one piece of advice that you have for them? Well, I'll wrap up with what we started with. And that's, I said, the, 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 the school shooting conversation could go political, but that's not what either of us wanted on this conversation, right? As the conversations unfolded, you probably still have no idea politically what my stance is about gun control, not gun control, like that right now to this context, this conversation, that doesn't matter. I hope what framing in the, the, the mass shooting conversation back to parenthood, whether we like it or not, there is a duty and a responsibility from men who want to take extreme ownership. We can point to our senators. We can point to the White House. And there is a responsibility there. But if all we're ever doing is pointing fingers, we're just victims. And if you're watching a show like this, that's probably not the type of man that you are. And so I'll kind of close it out with what I started with with the topic we started with and that was the mass shooting conversation and that is you have a responsibility in my opinion before anything else to take care of your own stuff so you can create the household the the modeled example of how we and you would want your kids to operate when it comes to their own emotional experience their own mental health why because teenage suicides are through the roof, right? Uh, kids on, on, on medications are through the roof. Mass shootings, which 
again, not about guns right now, but about was there possibilities of like mental health or like not knowing how to react emotionally? If we can create the space and the, and the, and the, and the environment in our own homes for our kids to feel safe when they have big emotions that they know they can come to us and then they're watching you model how you react to stress, anger, right? And all those things and how you react and how you respond and how you talk to your wife and how you talk to your kids when you're having hard moments. That's exactly why to, to do the emotional stuff. You know, and it, it might look weak, it might look soft at first, but I might argue, one might argue, it's actually the number one responsibility you owe to your household and therefore owe to the world, bringing this conversation full circle. Remarkable. Mike, thank you so much for your time, brother. And dude, I'm excited. Thank you so yeah. much for your advice. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, um, you know, this is a conversation that I think is important for the world. And that's uh, our households need present dads and our household need, um, you know, better dads. And I say better dads, like even if your kids don't live physically with you, um, can we do everything within our influence and within our control to be the best dad possible for them? That's our greatest responsibility and duty when it comes to fatherhood. So thanks for having me, Andres. You got it, brother.